Good morning. It's Monday, the 25th of September, and this is Govindraj Athiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day: India's stocks are down, but bonds have good news. The World Trade Organization lumps India with an unusual trading block. Factories are leaving China, but which ones? Murdoch steps down from News Corp and the media assets he sold to Disney are on sale. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Stocks down last week. How will stocks go this week? Well, there is no big upward trigger is all I can say from what I can see. So let's recap what happened last week. The 30 stock sensex declined for the fourth successive day on Friday last week after its worst weekly fall in 15 months. It lost 1829 points or almost 2.7% in the week ended Friday. On the day it ended 221 points down at 66009. The Nifty 50 was down 68 points to close at 19674, also down around 2.6% for the week. So both indices have fallen similarly though their composition is obviously different. The biggest losers were HDFC Bank, Ultratech Cement and Wipro. HDFC Bank you may have been following was in the news because of new or rather newly visible financials after the merger. Foreign investors at this point are selling some 1.1 billion dollars has gone out in September to date after close to 16 billion dollars of inflows this year. On Wednesday as you've been knowing or following the Federal Reserve in the United States kept its benchmark rates unchanged but hinted that it may raise them again which in itself sent the market into a tizzy. India's forex reserves are now at 593 billion dollars after losing around 867 million dollars in the week ended September 15th 2023 now the rupee is at a record low of 83.27 as of last week stocks are down currencies weak oil is of course now circling around 95 dollars a barrel but there is some good news on the bonds side JP Morgan said it will include and it said so last week Indian government bonds in its widely tracked emerging market debt index This inclusion could prompt billions of dollars of inflows into the roughly 1 trillion dollar bond market in India. India's local bonds will be included in the government bond index emerging markets GBI EM index and the index suite benchmarked by about 236 billion dollars in global funds JP Morgan Investment Bank said. The index provider will add the security starting June 28, 2024. Now India will have a maximum weight of 10% on the index according to a statement from the bank which means up to 24 billion dollars or so could potentially flow into India through 2025 JP Morgan said 23 Indian government bonds or IGBs with a combined notional value of 330 billion dollars are eligible and all fall under the category of fully accessible for non-residents India is set to borrow a record 186 billion dollars this fiscal year and needs funds to finance its current account deficit This move broadly follows the Indian government's introduction of bonds that can be fully owned by foreigners in 2020 as well as steps to aid foreign portfolio investments the team led by the firm's global head of index research Gloria Kim said in a statement quoted by Bloomberg Almost 3 quarters of benchmark investors surveyed were in favor of India's addition to the index they said Foreign investors have broadly bought about 3.5 billion dollars worth of Indian debt this year according to data compiled by Bloomberg 
Foreign investors will have access to a large idiosyncratic factors-driven market, while domestic investors will welcome investors with varying risk-return preferences, said Nagraj Kulkarni, co-head of Asia Rates ex-China at Standard Chartered PLC in Singapore, to Bloomberg, adding that he expected the decision to drive inflows of as much as $25 billion by March 25. JP Morgan's move brought in cheers and reactions from all quarters, including those in government or close to it. India's inclusion reflects the confidence that financial markets have on the long-term prospects of the Indian economy and our financial and macro policies, Chief Economic Advisor to the Government V. Ananta Nageswaran said. India's inclusion in the bond index is a step in the right direction. With inclusion of Russia and troubles in China, the options for global debt investors have narrowed down. This inclusion will deepen the bond market in India, said Nilesha, part-time advisor to the Prime Minister's Economic Advisory Council and head of Kotak Mahindra Asset Management Corporation in a tweet after the announcement. Meanwhile, among other economic news, the Asian Development Bank has reduced its GDP forecast for India for the fiscal year 2024 by one percentage point, bringing it down from 6.4% to 6.3%. Now, the significant part about this downward revision is the attribution to a slowdown in exports and potential disruptions in agricultural output due to unpredictable rainfall patterns. The forecast for the fiscal year 24-25 remains unchanged at 6.7%, as it is anticipated that growth will be fueled by increased private investment and industrial production. Speaking of growth flows and then trade, the World Trade Organization presented the World Trade Report 2023 in which it has presented a world of two trading blocks based on voting patterns in the United Nations. Now, this hypothesis lumps India with China along with Russia, most of North Africa and Southeast Asia, and places Europe, Canada, Australia, Japan and South Korea in the Western Bloc. Latin America and Sub-Saharan Africa fall somewhere in between and closer to the United States. Journalist and columnist on trade issues, Shankar Ayer, has criticized this hypothesis in his weekly column in the New Indian Express. According to him, the quest for resilience has triggered a migration from just-in-time economics to just-in-case geopolitics. The tectonic shift in economic relationships is manifest in data and in headlines. For example, Mexico ousting China and emerging as the largest trading partner of the United States, he says. He also points out, as a matter of context, that the United States is one of the top trading partners of India with exports touching $129 billion in the last year and includes sourcing by giants like Walmart and Apple. The bulk of India's $320 billion services exports is to the United States, Europe and the UK. The US is the third largest contributor of foreign direct investment into India. I reached out to Shankar Iyer and I began by asking him what the significance of this lumping together was and what it would mean for China. I mean, primarily I wanted to establish that the whole preconceived notions of how the world operates, of the world order continues in the World Trade Organization. It's supposed to be a multilateral organization with consensus as driving its force. But the research that is coming out has has so many presuppositions, terrible presumptions. I mean, the basic thing, Govind, is the WTO needs to figure out what is happening with the world trading system, what is happening with the rule-based order, what are the fault lines in the emerging trading blocks. Now, this report is exactly what should not be done. I mean, this is the report that tells you how wrongly the WTO is getting its facts. And it also is a representation or an illustration 
of what is not being done. So let's go back to the pre-COVID era. The world thought that it had a global supply chain. Many countries discovered that it was actually a Chinese supply chain. So people started figuring out how to build resilience into it. So the first part of the resilience was the health factor. Then the war in Ukraine happens. So they figure out that, okay, now we need energy, food, fertilizers. And so they start reconfiguring. And then the China-Taiwan issues come up. So the world is sort of resetting. Now, you might say that there is a need to study how this is being done. What the World Trade Report has done is it has taken a July 2022 study, which is a hypothetical case. and point out that fragmentation in global trade will result in lower trade and poorer growth. Now, is that the best way to understand what's happening in world trade? I think there is a certain willful blindness in this. You know, all the facts that I've laid out to put India along with China and Russia in a trading block is simply ridiculous. And I'm not arguing that India should be in the West. But I definitely would say that India is a sui generis case. It is in a space of its own. U.S. is the largest trading partner. India is part of the quad with the U.S., Australia and Japan. India is part of the Indo-Pacific Economic Forum. Almost 70% of India's software exports are to the West. And still the WTO, which should have all this data on its dashboard, lumps India with China and Russia. This is the ridiculousness that got my attention. Right. What is the significance of this, Shankar, in terms of how could it potentially affect either trade flows or tariffs imposed on India's exports, for example? It creates a crowd of suspicion. See, this simply people sort of draw conclusions or influence or inform by this. So when the BRICS grouping came together and then the BRICS bank said that they will have their own currency, so this creates confusion across borders as to whether should we trade with these people, are they with China, I mean, is this Russian bloc? So I think WTO as a multilateral organization should stay away from defining politics or using geopolitics to define trade. I think I would much rather that an organization with all the resources that they have look at trade flows in real time. I mean. MIT has a website which gives you an idea of the complexity of international trade. I think the WTO guys should take a look at this, maybe create a similar paradigm to understand what's happening in the trade flows. Why create misinformation? Why create confusion? Got it. And last question, Shankar. So how do you see this going forward? So one is, as you're saying, it's a research paper. The WTO should relook at it, be more real-time and really look at what's going on. And you also pointed out that India itself is part of so many other trading blocks. And then there's the data, for example, about India services exports to countries like the United States or Europe. So what's next? I mean, what needs to be done apart from fixing the research part in your mind? The first thing is, I think India has already approached the WTO Director General and sort of made its views known, protested against the presupposition that is flowing out of this. I think the WTO has been in existence for over 25 years. It has, for all its faults, it has done some work to promote trade. 
what the WTO fails to recognize is what's happening around it. There are so many multi-nation trading agreements, TPP, RCEPP, ASEAN, all of these are there. Okay. Now, these forums do not necessarily define the foreign policy choices of those countries, those blocks. Similarly, foreign policy choices do not necessarily define economic relationships. I think what needs to happen is that, A, I think WTO should officially bin this. I mean, to use this to prove the point that fragmentation leads to lower trade and lower global growth, I think is the laziest form of theorization that can be done. I mean, you know, there are hundreds of reports. I mean, I have a, should look at it. I think India should sort of also officially place on record that they do not accept this interpretation of the world. Right. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Murdoch steps down. Rupert Murdoch has finally stepped down as chairman of Fox Corp and News Corp, leaving his son Lachlan Murdoch with the task of steering the company's cable TV and newspaper businesses. Murdoch's media empire has been built over 70 years or seven decades and has had considerable, if not disproportionate, influence on the politics of several countries, notably the United States with Fox News and UK with Sky News, The Times and The Sun. However, Murdoch sold most of his film and TV business to Walt Disney for about $71 billion in 2019 and was left with news and sports across cable, TV and print. Speaking of Disney, the update from last week comes in the context of Disney considering multiple options for its India business, which include a joint venture with a strategic partner or an outright sale of Star India's TV channels and Disney Plus Hotstar streaming platform. Now, the update is that Disney is believed to have held talks with Reliance Industries, which owns a majority stake in Viacom 18 and also owns the Geo brand. Talks are now at an advanced stage, according to multiple sources, and are happening between India and Los Angeles, and the contours of a deal are apparently imminent. Were this deal to happen and go through, it would of course give Reliance's Geo considerable entertainment and media assets to hold on to, including of course news, which it acquired earlier when it bought TV18. Star India holds a market share of close to 30% of the broadcast entertainment market. The Reliance-owned Viacom 18 owns digital rights of properties like IPL or the India Premier League, apart from India Bilateral Cricket, India Super League and Cricket South Africa. Viacom 18's expansion in sports has come at the expense of Star India, which earlier owned the TV and digital rights to all these important cricket properties. Jio also acquired premium Hollywood content from HBO and NBC Universal. HBO content, by the way, if you had noticed, was earlier streamed on Disney and Hotstar. There, of course, seems to be a surprising lack of discussion on the likelihood that we are heading for a near monopoly or perhaps duopoly in some parts of the media. Z and Sony are the other big combined post a merger which has some final regulatory hoops to go through. In television, the Z-Sony combine has a roughly 19% market share. Toyota's EV triple push for 2025, switching gears, quite literally. For a while, it appeared that Toyota and Suzuki, almost controversially, were not committing themselves to higher electric vehicle production or targets. Now, that seems to be changing, going by a report from Nikkei News, quoted by outlets around the world. Toyota is now aiming to produce 600,000 electric cars in 2025, tripling the expected 2024 output of 190,000 units. The target is obviously in response to the ramp-up speed of other automakers, notably electric Chinese companies like BYD and, of course, Tesla. 
who are both the world's largest electric automakers, including within China. The target is now to sell 1.5 electric vehicles by 2026 with 10 new all-electric models, including SUVs, crossovers, small cars, luxury and commercial. By 2030, the automaker, that's Toyota, plans to sell 3.5 million EVs or about one-third of its global volume. The report also says that Toyota has notified several of its major suppliers of its planned EV production ramp-up over the next few years. Last year, Toyota and Lexus sold about 25,000 fully electric cars or just under 0.3% of overall sales. The figure I guess that many people will be looking forward to now is how many or how much percentage of total sales of any car company would be electric. The China Syndrome And before I go, I thought I'd point you towards a weekend interview I did, which has been getting a lot of interesting feedback. I had the opportunity to speak with Louis Vincent Gave, French origin, Hong Kong-based fund manager who has fought in the French army, written seven books, who among other things asked us to pay more attention to financial prices than we perhaps are. Gav has a very strong view on Western media bias on China and the likelihood that many of us, I guess quite rightly, are influenced by them. For example, he asks, if China's banks are indeed in the doldrums, then why are they outperforming US banks in the stock markets? China is losing factories for sure, but what is staying on? And what is the data really telling us? It's a lens that you may not have seen capital flows through in recent times, and I would urge you to listen or watch the whole interview on www.thecore.in. It appeared over the weekend, by the way. Here is an extract of an interesting part. And I think The challenge always in China is it's such a big country that you can pick at any string and make up whatever story you want to make up. So that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is I think when you look at the Western media, increasingly, you know, they've had to change their business model with with the internet. And most media have moved away from being sources of information to being really deployers of narrative. And today, there is no doubt that the narrative is, oh my God, China's collapsing. You've seen it on the cover of The Economist. You've seen it on the cover of Business Week. You've seen it on many Wall Street Journal articles. And yes, it begs the question, is this the reality or is this just just a narrative game? Now, I'll start off with your China plus one, um, because I think it's very important for your listeners to, to realize this. Today, the perception is indeed that the factories are leaving China to go to India, to go to Vietnam, to go to Indonesia. And there is no doubt that this is happening. There is absolutely no doubt. And this is happening mostly, I would say, with industries at the, at the lower end of the spectrum. Think textiles, think plastic toys, et cetera. Meanwhile, what is interesting, what nobody talks about, is if you go back six years ago when President Trump was beating the drum on how China's trade surplus was too big, beating the drum on how China was competing unfairly with too undervalued an RMB, et cetera. Back then, China's trade surplus was roughly 30 billion US dollars a month. Now, we've had these factories leave. We've had the trade war against China. Guess what China's trade surplus is today, six years later? China's trade surplus is now 80 billion US a month. So it's more than doubled. It's almost tripled. So when we talk, you know, China plus one, let's keep this in mind. Because what's happened really in the past six years is that you've seen China massively move up the value chain in terms of its exports. Six years ago, China was exporting cotton t-shirts and plastic toys. Today, out of nowhere, China is the biggest car exporter in the world. 
China's the biggest solar panel exporter in the world. China's the biggest battery exporter in the world. China is moving to be the biggest earth moving equipment and telecom switch equipment. So yes, factories are moving into Vietnam, into Indonesia, into India. But so far, to be honest, this is like crumbs off China's table. You know, China's trade surplus has still gone from 30 billion to 80 billion. It's crumbs off China's table, which, you know, if you're Vietnam, if you're Indonesia, you can feast off these crumbs. This is great news for you. Meanwhile, China's moved from selling plastic toys to cars, um, where there's a lot more value added. That's it for me for now. Have a great week ahead and do stay connected with us on www.thecore.in. Write in to me at govindraj at thecore.in. Do have a great week ahead and see you tomorrow. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.